0: The most certain thing in these challenging times is that things are uncertain. Much talk about masks, social distancing, quarantine, the search for a vaccine, economic relief, loans, government loans, it all can be summed up as essentially responding, reacting to a pandemic. Is there something that we can be proactive about? Not just responding, putting out fires, but leading some offense. That This is the topic of this program. A secret weapon in these trying times. Hello everyone, this is Simon Jacobson, a weekly global masterclass titled, A Secret Weapon in These Trying Times. This program is dedicated by Renato Achman, in the loving memory of his dear father, Shmiel Goudel, who passed away on August 9th, the 21st of of. Yes, in these uh, challenging and trying times, much uncertainty. It becomes very clear that nobody really knows where we're headed, how long things are going to take, what is going to be the new norm. Will we eradicate this uh, virus once and for all? And it can be very unsettling. It actually is very unsettling. Unmooring is what people use the term because we were so accustomed to living in a type of predictable, reliable, especially in our modern times, who would think that a middle age type of plague would so intrude and upset and upend life as we know it. And of course, when fires are burning, we try to put out the fires, which is essentially can sum up all the efforts, whether it's the search for a vaccine, whether it's the search for a vaccine, whether it's wearing masks, other social distancing, quarantining, lockdowns. On the economic front, finding some way to create economic relief, whether it's the PPP loans in the United States or other forms of support. These are all necessary because when a fire is burning, that's what you want to do. You want to lower the flames as much as possible. But these are all reactive responses. They're not proactive responses. They're not about a vision for tomorrow. They're responding, as I said, firefighters, at best. And even that, there's arguments and discussions and politicization of it all, and the polarization that doesn't help anybody. So though I'm not suggesting that we have a crystal ball and we can define the future but I am suggesting that we have tools and weapons, some of them more known and some less known, that can allow us to be proactive. And proactive does not mean we're going to find a magic pill immediately for the, for the, for the virus, for COVID-19, but rather in your own personal life. Because there is a, I don't want to call it slow, maybe it's slow, maybe it's quick, erosion of morale a demoralization that settles in when things remain uncertain. It's one thing if it's a few days, a few weeks, a few months, but there's a certain, you can feel it, a certain sluggishness and tentativeness that's settled in, like like a dark cloud. Thank God, in many places, including my own community, the deaths have gone down or completely disappeared. But still, there's still that tentativeness, because we haven't conquered it. And again, with all the confusion and mixed messages, and some of it is completely not deliberate because you simply don't know. It is a virus like no other. And of course, when you mix in the politics of it, it just, as I said, it just convolutes things even further. But you have complete control over yourself, your attitude, and your approach to this. And that's what I want to talk about. To try to fight. A storm, which is not in your control, can be a fruitful, a fruitless effort and end up actually exhausting you. You know, think of a good swimmer. The storms are raging. A good swimmer doesn't try to fight the tide. A good swimmer learns to float, go with the flow. Don't fight that which can be more powerful than you. But that alone gives the swimmer confidence because he knows how to deal with that. The less experienced swimmer would try to fight it and end up draining all their strength and resources. And God forbid that can be a much worse situation. So it's not about conquering something, it's about conquering ourselves and our attitudes. That's what the wise and the experienced learn to do. To navigate, to ride the waves, to know when to push and know when to Restrain. When to hold them, when to fold them. Now We're not talking about folding them, obviously, but just as a matter of expression. And there are real resources that we can employ, and I'm going to be talking about one primary one. And why do we call it a secret weapon? Because secret is anything that people don't use, or even if they're aware of it, they just don't access it. I will... Put it in context, being that we're coming to the close of the of the Hebrew year in, the, in less than two weeks, will be Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is actually a universal holiday. It's the birth of the human race. On that day, Adam and Eve, the account in the Bible, were created. So it's actually the birthday of you and I and every individual on earth. So there's a lot to be said about that. And I've spoken about that in previous years, different classes and programs we can all check out at MeaningfulLife.com, wide array of different resources. Um, So I'm not going to be focusing per se on that aspect of the birthday, even though we will be touching upon it, but it's a significant day and much can be learned from it. So there's an expression in the Torah portions that are read right before Rosh Hashanah, the week, the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah, where it says this statement, You're all standing here today, together. And then it enumerates 10 different categories of people, from the leaders to the last expression is the water carriers and the woodchoppers. In other words, the entire spectrum of the population, the entire spectrum of society, and any society. You have all types of people. This isn't about who's better, who's worse. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God. Everyone's equal in the sense that by merit of our divine image in which we were created. So this is not about a uh, popularity contest. But the focused word I want to focus on is the standing together. And the word in Hebrew for standing together, there's many ways you can stand. This is firmly standing together. So the medrash, which is a commentary on these verses, tells us, gives us an analogy that when you take a one stalk in a bushel, it's very easy to bend, to break, and to uh, destroy. That same stalk does not get stronger when you put a whole bunch of it in a whole bushel. It's the same stalk, but now it's with other stalks. You can't just go and bend it. In other words, it's not always about empowerment of the individual entity. It's when that individual entity joins others then it becomes indestructible. And the Medra says that is the point, that standing together, no matter who we are, and not allowing ourselves, our diversity, to turn into divisiveness is the secret of survival, unity. In the end of the entire Talmud it says, God did not find a container for blessing except shalom. Shalom is more than just peace. Peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is also wholesomeness, completeness. And lo and behold, look in nature itself, look at the human body itself, and you have everything you need. We are all fragile creatures. We know that all the time, and especially in times of a pandemic, you see, how vulnerable we can be. And yet, the human body, in microcosm, and the universe in macrocosm, what kind of fascinating machine is this uh, entity? It's made up of trillions of cells. Some say between 35 and 75 trillion cells in the human body alone. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands of different systems. If you would not know better, and you saw these systems separately, not as they are in one body, you'd never think they could work together, especially in just a small frame of a person who is 5 to 6 feet tall, 100 to 200 pounds. I mean, it can be more than that, but let's keep it to that. A relatively small little creature, and look how much is working. Just take the human brain, which we know very little of. But every part of the body. What's going on? It's not just the diversity. The different functions, the heart the pulmonary system, the respiratory system, the circulatory system, the nervous system. It's how they work together in this fascinating synchronicity and harmony. They are different. They work together. And that's what creates a healthy body. Same thing with nature. You study nature, even one species, even one creature. It's so fascinating. The ingenuity for breeding for hunting, for protecting. And then you bring it all together, it's just mind-boggling. How many species there are on this earth? And how they all work together. Now, of course, the balance can be upset. It's really the human being that can upset the balance. Nature has its own way of regenerating. Even when there's a natural, what we call disaster, but a natural event like a hurricane or a volcano or earthquake or a forest fire, Nature takes care of itself. It knows how to balance. There's a certain balance. The human is the, what do we call it? The free radical that can upset the balance or improve it. But again, that's not the focus. Focus here is that you look at nature, same thing. Tremendous diversity, multitude, multitudes. And the more you study it, the more you see the coordination. What do we learn from this? We learn from this that it's not about the individual entity that creates health and power. It's about how things work together. That's where the secret lies, and how things work together. Now, there's no question we live in a universe of diversity. Diversity doesn't just mean different colors and shapes and sizes. It also means different rules. Different species function in different ways. Even within one species or one human being, you find many different systems. What is good for one system may not be great for another. But the coordination is the key. You put a piece of food in your mouth. You want the windpipe to close, which it does. You want it to go down the food pipe. So everything has its place. Everything has its function, its role. And the key is to work together. And when we replicate that in engineering, in our own structures, whether it's building a a building or whether it's a a camera or an airplane, we replicate that. Many different parts. Never one specific detail. And all working in a coordinated way. One thing is off. It can be... Fatal and definitely not uh, constructive. And yet when it comes to human beings, look at our history. Our history of discord, of war and battles, of discrimination, of hatred, prejudices to the point of genocides and holocausts, expulsions, enslavement, subjugation. I mean, the list goes on. So you have to ask yourself a question. If all of nature works so well together, our own human body works so perfectly together. Obviously there are exceptions and there are diseases and different illnesses and different disorders that impact that. But we see millions and billions of people. We know what a healthy body is like. If that's indeed the case in nature and in our own personal lives, why would it not naturally just spill over to the way we interact with each other? We're all components of one big universe. We all need each other. We all need to breathe. We need the sun. We have different strengths and, we can, and, and can complement each other, just as it is with nature and the body. So why doesn't this come natural to us? I don't know if you ever thought of this question. The, main, the mere fact that we don't think of this question tells us we've gotten so accustomed to a life of let's put it this way, compartmentalization at best, where everybody's at their life, their self-interest, and we try to maintain some type of cooperation, coexistence. But we really don't hope for that type of symbiotic harmony that we see in nature and the human body. That's why we never think of it. It's become a given. It's a given that people can disagree, and that disagreement can turn into worse than that, And we see it all the time. We see the polarization. We see the politicization of things. Look what's happening now. All in the name of power, control. Obviously, it's dressed up in ideological language. But many of us know it has nothing to do with ideology because if ideology was the situation, so you know what? Ideologies can talk to each other and figure out maybe each one can contribute until you get a better system. It's become a battle like almost like gladiators. If they're, if they're, uh, if, um, they're uh, shedding blood or not, blood is not always red, because blood is also psychological and emotional. It also takes its toll. So why is it that case? So let's go back to Rosh Hashanah, the birth of the human race. It is exactly because this fulfills the purpose of existence. Nature and the human body is the architect's way of creating a system, a harmonic system, a coordinated one, a synergetic one. The human being, as I said earlier, is the only free radical. Meaning, you enter this world and you can both control nature and your own body and use that in a good way to improve things, to create new technologies, new medicines, new psychological and emotional ways of coping and dealing with things, or you can upset the balance. You can determine that, no, I don't need everything, and some things are, I reject, essentially taking a universe where every piece is necessary and complements the other, and we can determine, no, for my own self-interest, for my own survival, I can destroy a piece of this planet, <clears throat> including another human being. Now, so why? So we call this free will. Free will. But free will has a purpose. It means a purpose because we are partners in this venture, we're partners in this uh, initiative. And our partnership con- consists of being wise and understanding that we have these two options. We have the option of being self-contained. and We have the option of seeing the universe and seeing other people as part of ourselves. A different part, just like there's a right arm and a left arm, there's a mind and a heart and a liver and lungs and other elements and each needs the other and everyone has to function properly. We have that choice. Without that choice, if we would just be another piece of this clockwork, then what's the purpose? God demonstrating that he can create a good machine. We'd be like puppets, a robot. So the universe is actually a platform. And to describe it in context, I mentioned this, I believe, in one of the previous classes, this paradoxical response of why Adam and Eve were created last In the story, the biblical narrative of creation. So, day one, creation of light. Day two, separation of heaven and earth. Separation of the higher waters and the lower waters. Vegetation, creation of the luminaries and the stars. The fish and the sea, the animals. And then comes the human being last. Why last? Say the sages, two reasons which seem to contradict each other. Reason number one, because it's a special guest. You first set the table, then you invite the guest. You don't put a guest at the table and say, okay, now I'll set the table. So first the table was set, the whole world was in place. platform, an environment. Now comes a special guest, the one charged with elevating, refining, improving the world, the partner. The second reason given is when a person transgresses, does something harmful or hurtful. He's told. Who do you think you are? Even the lowly insect was created before you. So it's a lesson in humility coming last. Now, which one is it? Are we a special guest? Or are we a lowly lower than an insect? The answer is up to us. They're using a very simple example, and this example can be applied to every area in life. And what is that example? You're walking, it's a hot, humid day, become very thirsty, you suddenly see an apple tree, you see an apple, a a ripe, rich, moist apple, and you have a desire to rip it off the tree and eat it. So you have three options. You do exactly that, you just indulge, gobble it down, and a little refreshment in this hot day. Option two, you eat it with a little more reserve, but with no particular intention except feeding yourself. In other words, you're not behaving in an indulgent way, in a neutral way. And option three is you say to yourself, this is a gift, it's not my apple, it's a gift. God's gift to life. It's nature's gift. So before I take it on the tree, a little humility, acknowledging that you are now to, ready to consume another life, life, life uh, force, another uh, a living entity. And you show gratitude. You make a blessing. You eat it patiently. And above all, the intention is to become stronger, to become invigorated this hot day, so you can serve better. So now you can help another person. You can do a kind act. And the way the mystics put it is like this. In option number one, the apple says to you, figuratively, figuratively, what right did you have to take me off the tree and indulge and then maybe even use that energy for your own selfish needs or hurt, to, or hurt someone? I was an innocent little apple growing on a tree fulfilling some higher cosmic plan and you have disturbed my trajectory for your own selfish needs. And option number three, we'll get to two in a moment. And option number three, the apple thanks you. Thank you for making me a partner because I became part of your flesh and blood and every good deed you do and every humble act and kind and virtuous act, I am now... Forever a partner in. In option number one, option number two, it's neutral. So the, tree, the apple, from the apple's point of view, I might have stayed, might as well stayed on the tree. This is the way one is supposed to look at the universe. Isn't that a beautiful way to look at everything around us, at people? That every opportunity, every interaction, every relationship, whether it's casual or that's a, or a, a deeper one whether it's with someone you know or someone you don't know, you have these three options. And objectives to be a partner, to elevate, to connect. Because the apple on the tree, yes, it has its role. And Whether it's the concept of photosynthesis, that vegetation provides the oxygen of this world, or other functions, some we know, some we have not yet discovered. Regardless, it has its role. In creating a healthier universe. Every component of the universe. The worms in the earth help. Help regenerate the earth, help things grow. Everything has its role. A bee, when it pollinates. Think of that symbiotic relationship between the bee and the flower. And on and on and on. Everything has its role. And everything needs the other. And here comes the human being. Enter the human. And here we have the opportunity to not just allow the machine to continue to be fluid and flow properly, but to elevate it. To create a better world than the one in which we came. Not just to maintain it. This is the mission of a human being's life. This is what Adam and Eve were charged with. So the diversity of the universe is beautiful, but it creates the option of, being, of deceiving ourselves into thinking we're self-contained, that we're not part of one larger whole. Now this is true all the time, any time of the year and any year. But now that we're living through this turbulence and the upheavals of the pandemic of 2020, which pretty much is going to enter 2021 as well, quite quite obviously. COVID-19 does not change our mission. On the contrary, it challenges us even greater because pandemics can create also further discord, especially if people are saying dog eats dog, survival of the fittest, then there's a vaccine, I want it and I'll compete with you over it and the same thing with other resources or we dig deeper and discover one second our true mission is is to elevate and refine the world if you're hurting, I'm hurting and if you're blessed, I'm blessed because we are part of one larger entity and this is our choice and this my friends is a secret weapon it's a secret weapon, not because you've never heard of it before. It's because even when you know about it, it's still difficult to access. Look how difficult it is to create unity, synergy. Even though on paper it seems to make total sense. We all, get, we all benefit from it. If we work together, who loses? And yet, this irrational and bizarre need to dismiss another for me to prosper it all comes down to the, an illusion of what control what what power is the illusion that power is about control and you say when why you why do you want to control so obviously people dress it up in all types of uh, noble and altruistic and idealistic uh, language why do I want control because I represent a higher standard equality for all no racism or other values, and you can fill in the blanks. This is not a political statement here, you can it goes both directions. Why? Because I represent the prosperity, the success. Now, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to see through that. Let's put it mildly, that's not your only agenda. It's pure selfless altruism. Does anyone on this earth think that when politicians say that, that they, they really they have no interest of their own? They are just here, dedicated servants, to serve the cause, to serve God, to serve the people. I mean, (laughs) I don't need to be my age to know, when I was much younger, that that is, uh, frankly, a bunch of baloney. Not to use a harsher word. Do do they have 100% um, malicious intent? There's no reason to say that, unless proven otherwise. But but people like to hear that and that sounds nice so first represent then we become committed to. It. Let's all agree on one thing. We all have agendas. All of us, include myself. We all are subjective. We may represent good causes, but we also have blind spots. And most importantly, as much as you represent a good cause, someone else may also have a good cause they represent. And actually working with them, you may end up getting better, also your cause being fulfilled. Besides that, they'll cooperate. There's the cross-pollination that creates a deeper clarity. One of the beautiful things of the founding of the United States was the e pluribus unum idea from the many one. As opposed to the way it was before, All institutionalized institutionalized governments were run by monarchs, by the church, by an individual. Here they wanted to create an experiment where there would be the freedom of expression. Let's hear everybody's opinion and try to come away with something that works for everyone. And not just on a personal level, to actually create an institution, a government based on that. Of course there are risks. In a way, it's much easier you have one monarch, one individual. He makes the decisions for good or for bad, and that's it. No arguments. But that loses the richness of the diversity of things. There's an interesting book called The Hebrew Republic. And he basically gives credit to Jewish sources for the foundation, founding of this country. Not the only one, there's Michael Novak's On Two Wings, and there's many other books that have already demonstrated that. But one of the interesting thesis, you can say, or theories that he posits in his book, In the Hebrew Republic, is that approximately in the 18th century, and prior to that, a few centuries before that, due to the Gutenberg Press, and the dissemination of, and translation of the Bible, ideas, biblical ideas, became very accessible. And it changed the way thinkers thought. And one of the stories he brings there, which is very interesting, is the story with Samuel, the book of Samuel. His debate or dialogue, you can say, with the people, the Jewish people, come to him and say, appoint for us a king. And he says, no, God is your king, why do you need a king? And they insist, so he turns to God, and God says, appoint the king. Now the question, the obvious question that's asked is, the, the Bible tells us there's a clear mitzvah, there's a clear law that commands to appoint a king. So different commentaries explain it different ways. But the thinkers in the Middle Ages, when this, was, when this story became more known, they were able to read it, not everyone was able to read Hebrew, When there were more translation and even regardless, more access to the commentaries, it changed their thinking because, up till that point, the monarch key was seen as the absolute way that God wants the world to run. So there's a king. The fact that Samuel rejected that idea and needed God to tell him, yes, do it, means that this is not the only option. Because the logic went, Because human beings are diverse and don't have the ability necessarily to come to to terms. So to avoid discord and divisiveness and battle and war, appoint one person, divinely ordained, however you want to interpret it, who will make the decisions. Because you need one boss, basically. Like one CEO. You can't have two heads of a company making decisions. One commander-in-chief. hierarchy, line of authority. Now they suddenly were opened up. One second, you're saying this is biblical? The Bible actually tells of a story where it was rejected. That means it's not the only way to rule. I'm not going to go through all the theory in the book, but the point I wanted to make was, uh, just as an aside, one of the powerful answers is given to us by the Tzemach Tzedek, Hasidic thought, that the people were looking for a king, not the same reason that the Torah advocates appointing a king. The appointing of a king in the Torah is about finding a humble role model. Because we all have self interests you have a a humble role model that you can look to to learn humility from. So it's not about leadership in the context of power and control and dominance and aggression. Is about humility. The people, Samuel sends they didn't want a king for that reason. They wanted a king for for pride. Other nations have a king for nationalistic interests. And he saw that as just being a a vanity and arrogance. But getting back to the point, they recognized there's other ways, and that was one of the seeds planted that would give birth to the Hebrew, that's what he calls it, the Hebrew Republic, to the Republic of the United States. And of course, that spread now to the rest of the world. And continues to spread. The idea that the diversity of the human race has value. And yes, there's always the challenge. But remember, a monarch is also a challenge. What happens if the monarch happens to be a totalitarian, a fascist, a tyrant? Look how much he can destroy. That if we do it right, the founding fathers felt. E pluribus unum. Which is essentially the essential theme of biblical and Torah thinking. That diversity can lead to a greater good, if it's harnessed properly, with the proper humility, that you can create something that would become far more indestructible than a leadership under one. And taking the biblical model that I said earlier, nature, the human body, many systems all toward one goal. Now it sounds very idealistic, Because people, at the end of the day, gravitate toward their selfish interests and needs. And yet, this was the hope, and it continues to be the hope. So I am not in any way going to retreat and say, oh, you know, people look at people, the people are people, and they're never going to be able to get along. Because this is the model I grew up with. This is the model that I embrace. Are we perfect? No, but we're, we're, we're shooting for that direction. That's our standard. And you do have now an institutionalized government. And I'm not talking about how people use the government, how people who are in government. I'm talking about the documentation, what has been etched in stone as the Constitution. Is it it perfect? It's man-made, it's not perfect. But these principles are actually the way we will ultimately build a world of a utopia. Diversity into one. And it goes back to that verse right before Rosh Hashanah. Stand together strong. You're very different. There's leaders and there's woodchoppers. Couldn't be more different. You want to put it in more economic or social terms? There are proletariat and the bourgeois, bourgeois, which was, of course, the big battle in the 17th, 18th century that led to the different revolutions. Marx had his way of dealing with it. By not allowing class, fighting the class divisions, by forcing it, imposing it, that obviously failed miserably. Because that created even more centralized power in a more horrible way than ever. In the name of this type of socialist unity, had the greatest abuse of individual power. So what we're left with is a model of appreciating and replicating nature itself, replicating the human body. Atem nitzavim hayom kolchem. Hayom goes on Rosh Hashanah today. Stand together today. You're all born on this day. So you're all part of one human race. You all have the same common ancestor, Adam and Eve, who were charged with the mission, the crown jewel. They're the special guest invited to the table to create even deeper unity than what we already have. In nature. You may ask what can be deeper? Deeper is because we can create deeper transcendence. That nature does not have. Nature has a clockwork and it functions regularly unless disturbed. But transcendence is what the human being introduces. And then the unity is far, far deeper. And look at just on a very basic level as we tap into the technologies whether it's electricity or atomic energy or nuclear energy or subatomic particles, quantum mechanics, we make the world a better place, better than it was before. It can be more connected, more loving, much kinder, but we can never never be deceived to thinking that the material world is an end in itself. These technologies are all meant to connect us more in a personal, in emotional, in an intimate fashion. That, my friends, is the secret weapon in these trying times. And that is proactive, not reactive. Reactive is responding to the virus. What can we do about it? What can't we do and so on. Proactive is our attitude. Yes, this is an opportunity to create a pandemic of unity, of connection like never before. Just imagine, think ahead that someone looks back at 2020 and say, the human race rose to the occasion. No, they didn't eradicate the virus immediately. It took lives. It affected lives. It disrupted the systems. But the human beings became far more connected than ever. Each one fragile on their own, like a stalk in the bushel, but together indestructible. Imagine that being the headline in the history books of the year 2020 as opposed to right now as the narrative is developing, polarization, an election year, everyone, dog eats dog, survival of the fittest attitude. This is in our hands. So I know you and I will say, well, you and I will make this decision, but what about everybody else? That's not how a proactive person thinks. Take care of your situation. You make sure you're proactive. Then you have your immediate environment. You have your home, your family, your community, your friends, your colleagues, the people you communicate with online. Begin with that. If a few people begin with that, that creates a ripple effect. Look at the story with the Hebrew Republic. Look at the story of the United States. It took thousands of years for the biblical ideas to take hold and become mainstream. It was dismissed. It was actually seen as being a threat to people with power. They didn't want everybody to know that they have dignified rights. Why would the wealthy want the poor to suddenly compete with them? Or those in power, why do they want people not in power to compete with them? But it took time. So never underestimate what an individual can do. Proactive thinking is not about, oh, when everybody will do it, then I'll do it too. That's reactive as well. You're following. It's initiating. You cannot imagine the power of initiating something, especially when it goes against the trend. That's the opportunity we have now. And very simple. Right this moment, after you hear these words, when this program is over, or even you want to do it right now, go ahead. Open up your email box, your inbox, your outbox, or your social media, or other ways you communicate, share two, three lines of this idea. Let's create a pandemic of unity. I wanna share a kind word, and I'd love to hear your reaction because it's give and take. We each empower the other, we each enrich each other. Just try it out. You'd be surprised at the response. Someone will say, wow, how refreshing. And they'll respond in kind. That's how you begin. It doesn't take much more than that. And that creates a ripple effect. How far will it go? We do what, the best we can do. The rest, leave it to the viral, the positive viral impact. But that's proactive thinking. And proactive thinking and proactive behavior is actually quite healing. Psychologically, it takes away that sense of victimization, of feeling helpless, hopeless, what can I do? That has a very deep impact. It's demoralizing. It weakens your spirit. It's like you feel, you feel helpless. You feel vulnerable. You, when you're proactive, it doesn't matter how wide and how many people you reach, you've changed, you've shifted the direction of your psychological approach to life, and that is toward. is, I'm going to impact something. I'm going to influence instead of being influenced. I will initiate, instead of reacting, proactive behavior. That's the secret weapon. A proactive approach, a proactive revolution of unity. Begin in your own environment. Talk to your children about it. Talk to your spouse, talk to your friends, your partners, whoever it may be. And let me know what kind of effect that has. Because it's a give and take. So I welcome you in that dialogue with me. The Meaningful Life Center. This is what we're here for. Please share, like, pay it forward. And I always love to hear from you. Feedback, suggestions, ideas, even critique, yes. It's all part of the noble and majestic, soulful, Dialogue of Life. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, www.meaningfullife.com. You can find this program will be archived every week Wednesday. It's live at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And a full array of resources, a packed schedule of literally almost every day something new. Check it out at meaningfullife.com. It's always an honor, allowing me into your hearts, into your souls, into your time, into your homes, into your computers, (laughs) and um, may we merit to see the fruit of our labor, that we turn this challenging time into an unbelievable surge of connection and communion and interaction, which will only enhance our individuality while becoming more powerful as one. Be well, be blessed, be healthy. Next week, we will be talking about what a year it's been. Of course, regarding the year that we're going through, I don't think it needs explanation. See you then. Everybody be blessed. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.